to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. To Pod Damn America, the Gothic Socialist Podcast for Stupid Children, starring starring. I'm Jake Flores. Anders Lee is here. Star of the show, Anders Lee here. <laughs> and featuring Alex Patak. I'm Anders' trusty sidekick, and I'm carrying a, a bucket full of water. And I trip, and I fall down. The water goes everywhere, and I look at the camera like, "Oh shucks." Yeah, Alex Patak. It's because you're only featuring. You're not. Well, at least you're not. At least it's not. And introducing. Remember they used to do that. Old yeah, TV I'm the shows? Bobby Monahan of this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that weird SNL shit where they're like, and then- five years later, I'm still like a secondary title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy was so funny too. It's weird. I don't understand how they like level people up because sometimes somebody's really funny and they're like, and this person's a bitch. They're not allowed to be in the main <laughs> cast. And our intern, Jason Sudeikis. <laughs> <laughs> well, How, did Don Pardo ever reference himself? Was he ever like, I'm Don Pardo? It's forbidden. Yeah. He destroys. America wouldn't stand for it. He that would have been too much, yeah. If an introducer introduces themselves, they turn into dust, like when you kill a magical mummy. That's actually how he died. Yeah, he accidentally said his own name. Yeah. <laughs> and myself, Don Audra. <laughs> He's like a demon. Yeah. yeah. Well, his middle name was uh, Rumpel Stiltskin. So he said his full name and then. Folks. Folks. <laughs> uh, well, as long as we're talking about Welcome SNL, right? We should start here. SNL did a good joke and it's news on the internet. It's very funny. Everyone's like, hey, good job. You finally did something that isn't completely bullshit. Um, <laughs> on weekend update anyway I guess on the part of the show where they're like political because that's well, the part yeah. of the show that's unbearable I mean sometimes the sketches are okay because they're just apolitical or whatever but so I guess this news item is seven seconds of good material on Saturday Night Live this week <laughs> yeah <laughs> good well, job but they also their cold open was I, I think pretty good too uh, because they went after Cuomo which they also did again in, in weekend update not that I watched the whole episode, but I saw those two like clips. Don't lie. Um, and in the beginning, it was uh, Pete Davidson playing Andrew Cuomo, and like str- and just like threatening people and struggling to apologize and just like being, you know, a more moderate version of the actual Andrew Cuomo, who's totally insane and a bully. And people have known this for a long time, but the mainstream media and SNL has just been sort of oblivious to it or, or overlooking it. Uh, so I, I think, and my girlfriend was saying this, that this is a symptom of the post-Trump era. Trump is gone, and that made the show way worse. Uh, and so now it's like marginally better, and it seems like a totally new uh, content uh, product. Oh, interesting. I I think that's probably true, but I think there's also it's it's it is self is a reflection of like liberal culture because. Uh, 
my mom, who I hello if you're listening to the show, <laughs> but hello. is far hey. more to the center Mrs. than me. Flores, how you doing? And watches, it's the video game episode, Miss Flores. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love it. Probably not going to want to watch this or listen to this, but um, you know, she watches like cable news and stuff. And she texted me the other day and was like, "Man, this Cuomo guy turns out he was full of shit." And I was like, "Yeah, you wait know? a minute, what's going <laughs> on? If my parents think Cuomo's bad now, you know." Uh, because, you know, she's a very, she was just a lib, a centrist liberal person. So overall, I think there is now safety for criticism of people like Andrew Cuomo because right. it doesn't have any bearing on anything. <laughs> like they'll forget by the time, you know, we, they have to run a bad person for president again or whatever. And they'll go, ah, you have to vote for him. You know, what are you going to do? So we're just in that weird pocket where like you're allowed to show people reality because there's nothing they could do about it. Right. Saturday Night Live is a liberal Frankenstein. There's no redeeming it. It must be destroyed. Well, but there is. Uh, it, it's interesting. Yeah, the the excuse of Trump, the relativity of Trump that you can always you know use to frame things with that that is no longer uh, a go to for libs. Uh, and we've seen this with Cuomo. The big scandal this week is the fact that he he was doing just that because. They asked uh, an assembly member, Ron, Ron Kim, asked in his administration, why the fuck haven't you been releasing these numbers? Why have you been fudging and not giving us the whole story on nursing home deaths? And his aide was like, you want the truth? OK, here's the truth. The Trump administration would have investigated us and they would have politicized it. Uh, so they admitted that, that that's why they did it. And it's this classic case. Boogeyman Trump. You know, we can't do this thing. We should because, you know, it excuses everything. Yes. Uh, and we've defeated Trump by slaying 15,000 elderly people. <laughs> right. Sacrifices yeah. must be made. I mean, probably didn't and now people can look at it rationally now that he's gone and say that's not a, a rationale, legal or otherwise, for like hiding, for lying and breaking the law. You, you know, insert literally anyone into that and go, why someone else would have been mean to me if they knew <laughs> that I killed SNL a bunch of SNL was going to do a very bad sketch about us. And uh, that's why. And now, and, and yeah, and that's the consequence is they're being skewered. And that's really what Cuomo was afraid of is being made a fool of uh, on the national stage. And that's what happened. And it's, it's beautiful to watch because this is a guy who way overestimated his own like power and authority and thought he could just threaten somebody uh and get away with it um and he didn't he's not all powerful it turns out i did you can you can just say as ron kim did yeah he threatened me (laughs) and uh you know he didn't even need a record i wish he would have recorded it but um people are taking ron kim's side that they believe him because cuomo it's pretty clear now is just an absolute dirtbag gangster piece of shit (laughs) Yeah, he looks. He's one of those people. Where I'm like, do you, do you guys not see how how he physically looks? He physically looks like a Batman villain or like a Dick Tracy villain or something. Yeah. How is this guy getting votes just based on that? But um, I was gonna he say he keeps his head at a sinister angle. <laughs> it's always at the like Stanley Kubrick angle where he's looking up. Yeah, at we're you. talking about something where his head's down, but his eyes are looking up. Yeah. What is that? I don't trust that. <laughs> it's fucking scary. It's like a gargoyle. It looks like he's part crocodile. He does. He's got so many lines in his face. I did a joke in my John Stewart packet about uh, it was like the cover of his book, but then it's like surprise. It was ghost written by 
uh, O.J. Simpson, and it's if I did it. I don't remember. It made sense in the language <laughs> of, you know, mock-up, Chiron, or whatever. Packet It was going to be the episode they had O.J. Simpson on, and then O.J. Simpson would be like, that's right, John. I Check out my new book, and then it's Andrew Cuomo's book. Yeah. Basically. That's what I wrote. I'm going to get the job. They told me already. Um, oh, congratulations. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> Anders, have- you're up. You're the host of the show. <laughs> oh, well, that's their property now. You just gave away the, their property on our podcast. Uh, they have to pay me for it. I'm pretty. I'm a lawyer. That's how that works. Okay. I know how it works. Um, no, no one's gonna get that job. I, I was, I was so mad because I was doing that packet last week, and then halfway through doing, it, I looked at Twitter, and it was like it had reached such a meta level that like brands were tweeting jokes about it. I was like, Oh, everyone in the country is applying for this job. There's no way statistically like any, there's like, why even try? Um, I thought that was kind of interesting to give the job to Oreos. The, The taboo around packets that we've talked about before has broken. So people are just openly like I'm doing a packet when they come out because we've just been quarantined long enough that people are like, fuck it. Who cares? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something kind of interesting about that. Everything's changing. This is all part of the shifting culture we're talking about here. With Trump being gone, no one knows what to hold on to. You know, no nothing one... is sacred. Yeah, not even the cat, the good Catholic Cuomo. Yeah. Um, we've got a good show today. We're going to talk to some guys from uh, Meads TV who made a TV show called Preserving Worlds. It's a, it's a documentary series about a bunch of like MMO kind of chat roomy style video games, stuff in that realm, Second Life, uh, you know, Penguin Club could be in here. It's not, but it's that type of thing where you just go into a world online and, and uh, talk, but they're abandoned ones. And so... They is made- that the problem that Club Penguin is like still packed to bursting it's uh just brimming with pedophiles now or uh, <laughs> or like in the movie four lions people just plotting terrorist plots there's no children in it anymore i don't know Every- it's all aspiring zoologists <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while you go like to a thing like that on the internet and it's like oh it's all used for like illegal gambling or just like sex work or something like that it's no longer like i'm trying to think of an example of this and i can't but they're all it's just a vague, eerie quality of the internet. The stuff that will get filled up with like another thing. Um, I had a friend one time uh, who told me that that her friend uh, died, and they were still friends with that person on Facebook. And then remember when Facebook accounts used to just become hacked with like commercials for uh, or advertisements for Ray Ban sunglasses. Mm-hmm. It used to happen. Your friend would just go, oh, it's not me DMing you. It's a robot. It, it hacked yeah. So her dead friend became haunted by a sunglasses robot and was like DMing her like, deals, deals, deals on sunglasses. <laughs> She's like, you're not alive I have anymore. unfinished business. <laughs> you have to buy these. They're much less expensive than at the store. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, that space that exists on the internet with... Uh, Derek and Mitchell from Means TV. But uh, first, I'll tell you a story about 
um, myself and my experience on the World Wide Web <laughs> using <laughs> these strange spaces. I went. On, I took a uh, a girl I was dating on a date in World of Warcraft one time in about 2006. I want to say when I was a young. It's a good year for dating. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Yes. Which is kind of what well, I would know, and, and it wasn't. For me, but shut up, Anders. <laughs> it was sick. <laughs> ah, it was very funny. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was really funny, and it's weird because it's like there's a good, there's a a light and a dark side of these weird online spaces. We're gonna talk about that with them. But I thought uh, we were we were in a relationship. We were in different cities on the day of Valentine's Day. We both played WoW. It was not my idea. She got me into it. Actually, I dated a nerd. And uh, <laughs> and so in the game you could like do stuff like it's weird. There's like it, it, the MMOs are very meta, you know. Like you, yeah, you go do quests and stuff, and you just sort of get involved in this weird like Skinner box sort of situation where you get like dopamine from doing quests. But then you also could just hang out like in the town and uh, yeah, do weird stuff that's just like social. And so what it was is you could. Uh, you could buy like a bottle of wine, and if you drank like too many of them, like two of them or three of them, your controls got all fucked up and stuff, and the screen is like blurry because you're drunk. But that's expressing being drunk through the thing. Um, you could buy flowers from, you know, it was just like a minotaur or some shit. It was just like, here you go. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's Valentine's Day somewhere. <laughs> right. So she was into it? Yeah, she was a fucking nerd. Okay. Yeah. Cool. This, uh, Did you you know ahead. how you could do like backslash dance or like backslash high five or anything? Could you like, could you like get some action on there? Um, <laughs> you would have to mod. So we're going to talk about that actually, but I don't think it comes up in the interview we just did. But when we talk about Second Life, this is related to it. In Second Life, you can, like, they programmed it to where you can fuck. Uh, I don't know how graphic it really is. I think it still looks basically as awkward as when a WoW character does like a little dance or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, you could as much as that is fucking like I, that lives in some sort of weird space like phone sex or something where you're like, well, something happened and then someone came and then technology was involved in between. Then you, yeah, right. If you jack off to anything, it's sex now. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said this. <laughs> um, on some philosophical level, I guess, but you can't do that in WoW though, because it's for uh, you know everyone. You can make it's the true. characters take off their clothes, but then they're just wearing like weird medieval underwear that's like rags and shit. Right? They have like straps that cross their shoulders. What kind of practical stuff is that? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why would an orc wear that? An orc would never wear that. Yeah, your orc is wearing like a bra. <laughs> it's just unrealistic. Yeah. And I guess that's why I don't play is that takes me out of it that an orc would wear a bra. Well, you certainly shouldn't go on a date in WoW if you know that because you know that you're not getting past the orc titty, you know? <laughs> yeah, because that's what it's not what it would be like. I've been reading about uh, Greek mythology and apparently centaurs are like a debauched and horny race and they're 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 like not noble at all they're wild beasts that, that makes really sense. Shook things up for me that makes sense because their bottom half is you know animal 
right? It's not non-human. It's it's uh, feral. Yeah, they have and their top hat. They appear normal, and then their bottom is you know where they got the goods. That's where they go. But wild. their brain is a person's brain. <laughs> I thought they would just be on people mode. Yeah, it's a person's brain and a horse's dick. Yeah, I mean the, the all the like you know pheromones and sex chemicals and stuff are coming from your junk. So if you have a horse's junk and then a person's brain, that's a that's a that's a diabolical combination. Now that we're talking about yeah, it, yeah, the person's just gonna be like, ah, oh, god damn it, Ugh, you know, gonna be able to <laughs> yeah. articulate it all. Do you, do you wish people were more crazed for sex and stronger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's weird. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's go into our interview. Let's talk to Mitchell and Derek from Preserving Worlds. Game on. Okay, we are now talking to Derek Murphy and Mitchell Zemmel, creators of the new Means TV documentary series Preserving Worlds, um, and also creators of a uh, film which we all screened together at the Means TV premiere exactly a year ago, I guess, Sarasota Half and Dream. Welcome to the show, Derek and Mitchell. Thank you. Uh, I'm Derek Murphy. I am the writer and director of the series. Thanks uh, for having us. I'm Mitchell. Uh, I did the other stuff. The other stuff. I love it. Um, Preservation of the world? <laughs> well, I did the other, other stuff. I did like editing and that kind of thing. Nice. Uh, yes, but- Anders, get his ass. <laughs> <laughs> was, I, the editing was very cool. If you saw on Twitter, my uh, girlfriend's roommate's cat couldn't stop uh, trying to attack it watched the entire documentary film series with me very odd uh for a cat to do but um yeah um, it was actually edited for cats uh the any human enjoyment is a side benefit that's fair enough as entertainment should be dude they they should make a streaming network for that could have different shows (laughs) for different pets like iguanas or goldfish or it's a great idea money is there yeah. The money is there. We just need the production. There we yeah. go. Yeah. That's a gold. Chewy original series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should preserve that world for the cats. If you think about like how much money like Jeff Bezos dog has unofficially, that's enough <laughs> for a TV station. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Plus we could uh, all abandon this whole socialism project and make an ass ton of money off something like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I'm already there. We're doing it. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the uh, the show itself. If anyone hasn't seen it, you can see it on Means TV. Um, is it still free? Should I not advertise that? Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. It is free. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it can be freely seen on Means TV. They uh, unlocked it. There's some like bonus episodes that we did that are subscriber only, but uh, the actual series itself is free. Yeah. Cool. Um, you subscribe to Means TV though. Just saying. Definitely. You should, you should support, mm-hmm. yeah, worker-owned entertainment. Um, well, so I guess the first thing that struck me about watching your show is that it, um, it like the, the editing and the animation and stuff like that are very cool, and they both them both those aspects and the content itself kind of reminded me of something else that came out last year that 
um, unrelated thematically, but structurally kind of similar, which was Duncan Trussell's Midnight Gospel, which was uh, sort of like an animated version of a bunch of like podcasts all connected together and stuff. And, um, you know, it's an entirely other project, but I thought it was kind of interesting that out of the last year, these new ways of approaching uh, storytelling and stuff like that are occurring. And um, it just kind of had this whole serene, like dreamlike feeling. Uh, so very cool. Just I, I'm a fan of both those things. I thought it was uh, the animation was really cool and clever and stuff with the way you, the person speaking has a little avatar in the corner of the screen, the way, you know, yeah. someone playing a video game would or whatever. Um, but with, thank you. With, um, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, it's interesting. You brought up midnight gospel because I actually have a roommate who worked on that as an animator Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's <laughs> it's quite a thing. Um, yeah, big fan of uh, yeah how the, the they mess with the medium there, like an animated podcast interview. That takes are you place. roommates with Pendleton Ward? I'm not <laughs> yet, but <laughs> long term. Eventually, all animators live together. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm roommates. Get with, a vision uh... board. Put your ideal roommates on it visualize living with them yeah exactly. I, i'm roommates with rom Doss. he's really annoying he never cleans the bathroom <laughs> no uh <laughs> well yeah so you've got kind of this interesting uh you know at whatever scale return to like avant-garde television that reminds me a little bit of like um what do you call it like liquid television from the old uh yeah, MTV days and, um, mm-hmm. you know, what you used to be able to get away with on like Adult Swim or I guess Adult Swim is still pretty weird, but I don't know what the future of it is right now. They just closed their like online streaming website and stuff. Um, so structurally, there's a lot going on. That's very cool. But I wanted to start off by asking you, you know, just basically, how'd you come up with this idea? Um, lay it on me. Yeah, sure. So... I'm a librarian professionally, and I've been uh, in archivist roles as well. It's there's a lot of overlap. It's the same like degree and everything. Uh, so, studying uh, archives, I got really into uh, video game preservation. It's something that there are some institutions working on, but for the most part, we're not really there yet in terms of like the archival profession. Uh, really doing the kind of uh, large-scale preservation action you would want to see on video games. They're a medium, video gaming uh, is a medium that is at risk, uh, at strong risk, I would say right now. If you look at the history of new media, um, most new media from like the 20th century onwards has had a period of dramatic loss uh, in the first several decades of its lifespan. So a good example of that would be uh, early radio programs are mostly not preserved, even the most significant ones. Mm. Early film, uh, Library of Congress uh, has estimated that about 75% of silent films no longer exist, which is very sad for film historians. And uh, yeah, so I am a bit concerned that video games might go the same way. So... uh, And video games are even harder to preserve than those other media because early radio, um, early, well, early radio, I suppose, was just broadcast live and not even recorded a lot of the time. So there's, you know, that's really ephemeral. But with film, uh, you know, a film print can survive in the back of someone's closet for quite a long span of time, uh, relatively unharmed. 
you can just grab it and uh, watch it in the future. Whereas with a video game or with any kind of software, really digital files in general, they are not easy to preserve. They require constant maintenance and there are way more like fail cases. Uh, digital files, they don't degrade gracefully the way that a physical uh, medium does, right? Paper can slowly get a little crumbly or decompose a little bit over the span of hundreds of years, but you can still read what's on the paper for most of that time. Film print, um, most of the time, you know, you can project it, it might be scratched, there might be some chemical decomposition, but you can make out the image to, you know, depending on the amount of degradation, maybe 55%, you can figure out basically what it's depicting. Digital file, though, when that starts degrading, it fails all at once, right? I mean, a bit flips in this file and suddenly you just can't even open it anymore. You can't, you, there's no approximation of what's on it. So, very concerned about video game preservation. Then on top of that, the preservation of online games is a whole other layer because if you preserve that video game perfectly, then in a few decades, you log into it, no one's on it. You don't really have a sense of what it was like to play it. If you're studying the history of something like World of Warcraft, then, uh, you know, you can't. there's a lot of insight that you just can't get from an empty game. So I find that I think a lot of good uh, methodology for preserving that subjective side of online games comes from the realm of ethnography. So for this mm -hmm. series, we really wanted to uh, kind of use those ethnographic methods, which is to say, gather like oral histories from uh, players of these games that are like extremely at risk of shutting down at any moment and uh, get a feel for what the community was like, uh, videotape what it was like to play the games. <clears throat> get a sense of the culture that the players had developed, any institutions they created in the course of playing the game. So we were trying to do that sort of almost like an archival preservation like uh, project here, while at the same time making a really entertaining TV show was the hope. Yeah, totally. Because oh. it doesn't really read like you're like, oh, I'm trying to record just the physical artifacts in the game. And it almost, to some extent, struck me as like, oh, these are like little national parks. But it really is more about the user experience because mm -hmm. with that, that's the that's the art. Like without that, it's really just a, a computer image or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's what matters. It's the human interest. Yeah. Cool. Um, I guess so. Immediately upon watching this and learning that it was made by you guys and having seen your other film um it made me think a lot about your film sarasota half and dream uh which you know if anyone listening hasn't seen you should watch it it's on needs tv um it's a really kind of like surreal um i don't know what the word i'm looking for is like it's just real dreamlike uh it's it's a documentary about you know semi-abandoned sort of place in uh, what is it in florida yeah, Sarasota, Florida, yep. Um, yeah. And thinking about both of these things together, I guess I couldn't stop thinking about this Twitter account that's very popular called Liminal Spaces. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah, I, I love, love that. that. <laughs> I had a feeling. I love that account. <laughs> um, Liminal Spaces is, uh, as a Twitter account, is what it is, is just these kind of, you know, this bot that tweets out these photos of spaces that don't really exist like functionally in our society anymore. So it'll be just pictures of like um, arcades or, uh, you know, something that you haven't thought about in like in your life in like 20 years or something like that, but also places that implement technology that's sort of obsolete. And it always gives you this vague feeling. And I think the, the definition of the term liminal space is that it's like, it's the, the stepping stone to like literally another world or something that, 
you know, the other world being defined by like, I don't know, it's just that weird feeling that you get when you watch uh, old footage of people using like candy bar phones or house phones or something like that. Um, so I guess the reason I brought that up is like, what, what's the crossover there? I mean, because it feels like the, the ha- question hanging over like all of these you know, these little online worlds is like, do they go away if everyone leaves? <laughs> you know, do, do they still exist? What's going on there? Like philosophically, you know, did you think about that at all? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Sarasota happened. I guess not that funny because it's the other thing we did. Um, but speaking of uh, Sarasota Half and Dream, the original uh, pilot episode of the new series on World's Chat uh, was originally going to be a scene in Sarasota Half and Dream. Um, we recorded it like way earlier than the other stuff, which we made last year. Um, that episode we recorded in 2015. Uh, and after like a year or so of editing, um, we came to the unsurprising conclusion that it had nothing to do with Sarasota, Florida. Um, but that that was sort of like the origin of the uh the new series actually but it does Um, have something to do with it that's what i'm saying it's like right yeah (laughs) um yeah the the liminal space thing that kind of like dream like half there half not kind of space uh was totally like the thematic uh crossover there Um, yeah that was why we wanted to uh include that scene in the in that film in the first place was even though subject matter wise it was very different there was that thematic link of like world's chat is uh, an online game that uh a new kind of sort of people have kind of moved into it and they're using this kind of digital uh uh relic or uh ruins this uh, these ruins they're using for a whole new purpose that they were never originally intended for and that's kind of what very much of sarasota half and dream was about was abandoned buildings or parts of this suburban community that have been kind of left to rot or be reclaimed by nature and who moves into it and what do they use those spaces for like what people are spending time in like a broken down abandoned factory and what are they doing in there is like a big part of that film and spaces like that are liminal right i mean an abandoned factory it's empty there's trees growing through the middle of the room there's animals starting to take it over for some reason an abandoned car in the middle of it like it doesn't it's it's a reminder of what its old function was but it doesn't have that function anymore and it it means something totally new, but we don't really know what it means. Yeah, very liminal. <laughs> For a more direct uh, comparison, it might have been more helpful if you were doing a movie about a town in Florida populated only by 4chan users. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. So something that I guess I was thinking about when I was watching this is that like a lot of the people you talk to, so this is was like six different kind of interviews with people that spend time in certain of these, you know, half deteriorated online spaces. Um, a lot of them are free and they talk about how, like, since a lot of this stuff is, uh, you know, created by the user input, the fact that it's free ultimately shapes the world of the game. And, uh, 
you know, if they, if they try to start charging, then all of a sudden they lose, you know, this key component, which is that massive amounts of people play it. And like, for instance, with one of them, with the second episode on ZZT, all the kids that were making these wacky little Atari style games were like children. So if you charge money, suddenly you don't have that audience anymore and it loses like it's, it's a, you know, it's entire flavor or whatever. Um, that sort of lends itself to an argument about what games would look like, you know, under communism versus what they do look like right now under capitalism. Um, a friend, the a friend of the show, Daniel Bessner, just wrote a really interesting piece. I think it was in Jacobin, and I have to link it uh, about first-person shooters and how you know they have this entire ideology that has been sort of like warped and formed at this point by you know a decade or two of having been used to shill for the military. But, you know, they're, they're not entirely propagandistic. They're just very nihilistic because that sort of reflects what it's like to be in the military itself or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think, I guess, what I'm getting at is, are we seeing here like a tiny peek into what video games would look like in a better world? Or, you know, it's kind of trippy to think about. Would we not have games where you shoot people in the head, you know, if we didn't have a military? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, like? this these questions were questions we were asking ourselves consciously as we were working on this series and I think the the biggest thing we saw in some of these communities uh on that subject was just the idea of people creating games outside of a marketplace. Mm-hmm. So every game that we looked at had some capacity for players to create their own uh content for lack of a better word. Like you could create 3D spaces in some of them. You could create whole games in some of them or whole campaigns of levels. And in each one of these, except for Second Life, because Second Life is hell in some ways, <laughs> in, yeah. in each one of these uh, games, people were doing all this stuff totally for free, only for their own enjoyment and the enjoyment of others. And in almost every case, uh, very active and passionate communities arose around creating things with these games. So... You know, a lot of really great stuff got made. I mean, there's ZZT games and Doom uh, wads that I would put up there with, like, you know, classic games. Like, there's there's actually some really quality stuff coming out of these communities for well, no money, right? Yeah. No profit motive whatsoever. It's very interesting. I really do think that under, you know, socialism or communism or anarchism or whatever other better world you can imagine, uh, you would see... Obviously, people would still be creating things just for the pure joy of creation and expressing themselves and sharing with others. It, I mean, absolutely, you'd still see great art. You'd probably see better art because people wouldn't have to chase money. Right. Well, well it's interesting you bring up Second Life because what struck me in that episode was like how, uh, on the one hand, there is that sort of um, creative, non-marketized you know, structure that you're describing. But then there's also like the opposite angle of it where it's like not necessarily for you know mainstream um commodification or whatever but there's this very um strong sense of property rights like a very like sort of anarcho-capitalist mentality there too yeah uh what is it about that game that that just you know becomes like sort of a, a wild wild west where people explore all kinds of different utopian ideas hmm. um so- yeah, I, go ahead, Mitchell. I mean, I guess one thing that Second Life does have going for it is just name recognition. It's mm. definitely like the most active and probably overall like the most popular, widely used um, online chat, like 3D chat environments. 
um, in 3D social space. Uh, the, the developers of the game, Linden Labs, um, did like put this kind of like, they, they kind of inserted it artificially into the game that you need to pay money to create an, an environment, to create a space, you have to pay monthly rent. Um, and then they collect a check every month. And so as a result, you, you get, you know, different, different ways around it. But the most popular is you turn at least some percentage of your space into uh, a mall, basically. Mm. <laughs> and you'll get, you know, like little avatar vending machines where you can purchase an avatar to be a parakeet or a tyrannosaur uh, and a lot of other appealing things that we almost bought, but <laughs> I think that also to go with the other part of your question, I think that Second Life, first off, you know, it is free to play. Uh, you have to pay to like maintain a space or whatever, but it's free to access at least, so free to visit someone else's spaces. I, I think like it's kind of like what our guest on that episode was talking about. That Second Life is very good at. Um, putting you in what feels like a persistent uh, physical space that mm -hmm. you can interact with as though you are a person there. Like any surface, you can tell your avatar to sit on it and they'll sit on it realistically. Like there's more room for creatively expressing yourself uh, as an avatar in that game than in most. I think that that attracts a lot of people. It's just a shame that they introduced uh, scarcity to an <laughs> online game, which, you know, yeah. this social virtual world should be post-scarcity by default, but they just introduced it in order to collect a percentage off of every purchase. Second Life yeah. is crazy because it has an economy that bleeds into, like, the real economy. And I, I remember seeing, um, one point years ago, an episode of, like, Judge Judy or one of those daytime TV shows where someone got sued over a thing that they were selling in Second Life. And I can't remember what... The other person's grievance was, but the woman kept having to say they have to having to refer to it as FMB because she made what's called fuck me boots, like stripper boots <laughs> in the game, and everyone in the game is trying to fuck each other all the time or whatever. So she, yeah. someone was suing her over the, the virtual boots she bought. It's fucking crazy. What? It's, it's funny, very weird. I, I remembered as I was watching that episode that I had a friend who one night like invited people over and then forgot he was supposed to DJ a room in what I now remember is second life. And he's like, fuck guys, I'm sorry. I really need to, we need to hang out in my room, my computer room uh, or else I'm going to lose my DJ spot here. And I was like, oh, can you put on some most deaf? And he was like, oh, I'll get kicked out if I play most deaf. It's, it's too overplayed in this room. There's certain things you can't play. Yeah. The, um, the furries don't so like hip hop. Right. It's it's weird. But uh, the thing that it, I think is cool about it is, as was just mentioned, the sexual aspect of it. Uh, and, I, you know, are there places that people can go to maybe other than Second Life where you can have that? Because, you know, there are a lot of people, uh, because we live in such an atomized hell world, who um, can't do that IRL, like they, they struggle with it, or whatever. So that kind of fulfills something for them to be able to, to meet people and flirt and Fuck. I actually virtually I kind of wanted to talk about that. I, I made notes about it because I couldn't stop thinking about it while I was watching specifically the Second Life one because like it also reminded me of a true life 
episode, the old MTV documentary series about Second Life, and it was like I've never seen it a long time ago. And the the character on it was a presented as a man. You know, his avatar was like a, a young girl, and he was. It was one of those documentaries where throughout the documentary it sort of changes, and he sort of like comes out as trans and is explaining. You know, that's why he's his uh, he's having this existential crisis with his Second Life character, and he's sort of explaining to people in his real life, like, no, it's just a character and all this stuff. And it was a tragic story back then when uh, the world is a lot different, and that was a you know a, a, a story that stuck out and stark contrast with uh, the culture that we lived in nowadays things have changed a little bit for the better and that's cool but um just i guess something i i, I kind of couldn't really articulate while i was watching this was that millennials and zoomers and you know everyone under fucking 40 or 30 or whatever today we're part of a generation where we grew up with the internet and so we have what is seen by people on the other side of a culture war as like you know oh they're all decadent they're all trans and non-binary and stuff but i think the reality is every generation has this many trans and non-binary people what we have is the internet and so we had space for people to express something that normally would like maintain itself on one side of a threshold regarding like the inner and outer world so normally you would have all these people walking around feeling very unfulfilled and feeling like well i'm limited by you know the the world itself and what it allows me to do especially if you live in a part of you know this country or world that it's a you know, it's not easy to go outside and be who you are. And so with something like Second Life allowing, you know, people to kind of work through all that sort of stuff, I guess I, I first of all, I think it's like cool. Like I'm glad that I, you know, grew up with the internet and that we all have that in various ways, mm-hmm. not just with, you know, sexuality. I guess I was also thinking about politics and I was like, is that on some level, is that also what happened with like the fact that we now have you know, a bunch of fucking communists running around. People were, I'm from the South. You're not allowed to call yourself a fucking communist in Texas, or at least you weren't like 20 years ago. Uh, not everywhere, you know, had like a DSA and stuff like that. And then you also have like, I guess, fringe, you might, you could make an argument that all these like reactionary types are probably people that were like, I feel like a Nazi inside, you know, but I can't <laughs> just say it or whatever. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I really have a question. They love talking about that, too. There's like a hundred documentaries of like, I I didn't know why I was so (laughs) mad at school. And then I saw the frog. (laughs) I finally knew who I was. Well, it's from watching uh, this series. It seems like that's a big problem of of, uh, alt-right people or otherwise reactionary. Even before that alt-right was a thing, uh, reactionaries taking over these online spaces and dedicating the edgelorddom, right? Yeah, that can definitely happen. That just kind of happened with World's Chat. By the time we got in there, it had dissipated a bit, and it was uh, kind of fun to see that like a lot of those 4chan, basically the 4chan people who like came in and invaded World's Chat, by the time we got there, the only ones left were the ones that just straight up fell in love with World's Chat while they were there and <laughs> remained behind as like they integrated into the pre-existing community of like old-timers from the 90s and just started... Uh, you know, getting along with them and <laughs> hanging out in there. So it's kind of funny how that can happen too. But but yeah, Jake, I think what you were saying is very true. And it's, I think, very profound about these games. And it was something that I found very moving as we were uh, talking to some of these people that we interviewed. Like, there is a space now that didn't really used to exist online for people to connect with other people that are going through similar struggles to them that in many cases are in in the past were quite sensitive and you know you would really be on the down low about it and might not ever meet anyone else who was sharing the struggle you were going through and so 
I think, you know, that's like the, I guess, a little bit of like heaven in the second life hell is like, there are these communities of like trans people or queer people or furry people or, you know, whatever. We also saw like some Marxist communities in Second Life. They were uh, sadly quite small, but we did see some of those too. <laughs> there are communities of like people that are going through a similar struggle and connecting to each other in ways that they really probably in some cases really couldn't in the real world. I mean, if you live in a place that doesn't have a gay club at like anywhere at all, I mean, Sarasota had one shitty gay club like that burned down, right? So if you live in a place like that, then it can be hard to connect with other queer people. And, you know, at least there is like in this atomized world, some place online where you can connect with people. And it's, you know, not the same. It sure would be better if we lived in a world where we weren't so atomized and we had physical places like that in our communities where, you know, people who are marginal or are going through a struggle like that or figuring out their identities could connect in the real world. But I guess at least we have this outlet now. Well, I think it, it, if it, you're li- it, it good. Sorry, I just want to reach out to our listeners for a second. If you're listening to this and you are uh, an alienated New York comedian now that, all the, now that all the clubs are gone, you need to start a Half-Life channel. Just start a <laughs> club in Second Life. Oh, my God. That makes so much sense. That sounds a lot better than uh, Zoom stand-up. For uh, real, yeah. you know, just from an outside. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least a lateral move. At least, like, <laughs> not worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I had an idea for that actually one time, but way before, like, ten years ago, before there was a pandemic or anything. And now I'm, now I'm like, oh, I should have done it because there was like, a, you could do this on like Xbox. And so I, I had this idea, like, what if we did a show that was in like L.A. and New York at the same time, and everyone's their little avatar in it or whatever, and it might be fun and. Um, God, maybe it would have worked, but they're with comedy. It's like you really kind of have to be in people's faces. Either way, second like just an orc or... telling you men and women are different. <laughs> I think it would be funny if you did it in like World of Warcraft or something, and then but you're those... you're doing crowd work and you're like ASL, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a guy heckles you, a bot you that just does that for you. You you cast like a good spell on like fuck you, you know, fireball. Don't heckle me. Um, or they all kill you. They just kill you. That's how it ends. Uh, they always kill. It, it's a video game, so you're going to get killed. The, the <laughs> weird thing about the simulation genre that you guys are documenting in this, too, is uh, it's because we're all locked inside, develop this second purpose outside of um, uh, new spaces you can open up for maybe uh, more niche communities into just a practical need to like recreate being in a room with people. <laughs> my uh, my friend's girlfriend was telling me last night she used this app called like Mumbo or something. I'm getting the name wrong. I'm That's kind of sauce. <laughs> yeah, she was using Flip Flom and uh, it's a party app where everyone has an in-game avatar and instead of like all being in one big room, you move closer and farther away from other avatars, like physically moving around and then like people grow louder and quieter. And then yeah. she like eventually just like got drunk and left and everyone could see her face, but she wasn't there. Oh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I've used that thing too. I don't remember what it's called either, but yeah, I mean, that's oh, you're funny. You're on Mumbo? Yeah, I'm on Mumbo, man. <laughs> Hit me up on Mumbo. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, that's almost like a business casual version of uh, the kind of thing we looked at, right? It's like uh, you and your coworkers can go on in this room and have a little avatar, but uh, don't worry, it's it's safe and easy to use. The yeah. show I was working on last year did something basically like that. Uh, it was more like a 2D 
like an old Zelda game or like Stardew Valley or something. Uh, but it was the same sort of thing where like you had to like walk near somebody physically to like actually like open up a video chat with them. Um, definitely made for a more compelling holiday party than uh, just a Zoom room. Oh, weird. Uh, well, if I could ask about sort of the darker aspects of this here, uh, I especially enjoyed the Doom episode, which uh, people are, are younger. That was a game that people still play a lot. I, you probably have heard of it, most of you, but uh, it's, you know, uh, a first. Is it a first person shooter or you're kind of bird's eye view? I couldn't tell that. I, oh, yeah, it is first person shooter. The way, a, that okay. we, the way that we shot it was a little strange. We uh, went into a online co op uh, match and I see. essentially went into spectator mode. And you, so you can float around the level and film from whatever angle you want. So we recorded it like floating around uh, our interviewee, Liz Ryerson, her avatar. So you can see like her playing the game from third person, which you normally can't uh, see. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Normally, it's all first person. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, uh, but I was wondering if you considered uh, checking out the Harris levels and featuring those in the game. I'm uh, not familiar Harris levels. Uh, so uh, Eric Harris of Columbine fame. Whoa. Oh God, several, <laughs> those levels. Yeah, yeah. He created several wads, as they're called, right? And yeah. uh, one of them, supposedly, I think this one is not on the internet. It was like taken down, but one of them is actually the map of. Columbine High School, mm-hmm. uh, but he has several other ones that he made that you can. I, I from what I hear, you can still go to and, and scope out. Hmm. Um, that is interesting. Whoa. Yeah, I, the thought did not cross my mind, but yeah, I do recall that. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, when that happened, there was a whole big deal made about the fact that they played Doom a lot and were really yeah. into Doom. And then, you know, a lot of politicians saying, "Well, this is uh, Doom's fault. It can't be anything else. It must be because of this video game." But yeah, that would be kind of interesting to look at those, I suppose. I wonder how much insight you could really get out of it. I mean, essentially, it's just going to be like, some. I mean, they might, maybe they're fun to play. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that, that might be, be the scary thing you find out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of, oh maybe we should do a Twitch where we play the the Harris. There were uh, <laughs> there, there, were that. <laughs> there were school shooter video games on like new grounds after like oh, that oh that's right thing. yeah Pico yeah. yeah Jeremy and I beat Pico on the ball and out stream like a few years ago yeah it's hard there's a lot of clicking uh as much as I'm a a hippie about this and I'm like everyone should play second life and express themselves if you're 14 go play the fucking school shooter game you're gonna do it we all did it you know get it out of your system (laughs) no bad art you know um well I don't want to get stuck on this point that I've been kind of vamping on or whatever but like there's this kind of there's this like a blurred line between where the person stops and the technology starts that I am just kind of fascinated with. And that I think, uh, something good is coming out of here, you know, because like, um, like, I don't know. There's like a, it's, there's a safety in expressing yourself in the anonymity of the internet. And it's, I think about it a lot because I think people often 
will like go on Twitter and be like, why the fuck is everyone a communist on Twitter? But not <laughs> what they're not understanding is like, most people will have beliefs in real life. They just don't share them with you, you know, or if it's not communism, it's X, Y, Z, you know, other thing. And I've had like a lot of, I'm a very online person. I've had friends be like, you know, Hey, I like you, but I don't like you on the internet. And I'd have to, I had to go, you don't like me then, you know, cause the things I'm saying are the thoughts that I have. And mm-hmm. so there's this interesting threshold between, online and real life and social mores and all that stuff um and i'm thinking about it and i'm thinking about our relationship with it and how one thing effectively changes the other and there's no way i'm not going to bring this up it's happening this week i'm also watching this new fucking adam curtis documentary as it comes out oh i am too yeah yeah (laughs) love it he talks about AI and all this stuff. So I think I kind of have to move into there for a bit and, you know, go what's going on with like, does the world still exist theoretically when everyone leaves it? Or, you know, have you ever gone into one of these worlds and it's taken over by like robots and shit? Cause I certainly have logged back into things on the internet and they're just like, you know, everything's a robot trying to sell you sunglasses or whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, what is that? A lot of second life is like that. Yeah. A lot of second life. Like there are times where you don't know whether an avatar in there is a real person or a bot. Yeah. It happens all the time. The first time I logged into second life, um, someone with an avatar, I, I like spawned in a default spawn area, which for some reason looked exactly like a recreation of an airport, which was really strange. So I log in for the first time I'm in an airport and an avatar of just some, you know, uh, conventionally attractive woman like runs up to me and starts like <laughs> chatting stuff at me. I'm like, who the fuck is this? Like, what is, and I, it was a lot of lingo. I didn't understand either. Like, I guess some second life lingo or something. <laughs> I was, I was so confused and this avatar was following me around and I was like, I do not know how to respond. So I walked out of the airport. First thing I saw when I walked out of that was a shop for like avatar clothes and outside of the shop, like, a little like 2D JPEG of like a homeless person in a little encampment next to the shop, which I'm like, why would you put that there? Yikes. Wow. It was a, yeah, it was a, let's say appropriate introduction to what second life can be like. Yeah. <laughs> With all the capitalism and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Less capitalism, more fucking. That's what I say. Well, in second life, they have both apparently. Yeah. Both. Yeah, you don't you have to get to into modding. This is uh, your next big pursuit. Okay, I'll try. Add um, more fuck me boots to every game you can find. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm going good. Yeah, what, what you guys were saying about Second Life reminded me of uh, every single iPhone game I've uh, tried <laughs> to play in the last year. The uh, what you were saying about the. Uh, you know, they, they send out the game, which is... Was Second Life free? Yeah, yeah Second Life to, is free to log on, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. I'll take your word for it. I wasn't personally there myself. I'm out in the real world with real boots. <laughs> um, making love in the These capitalist boots are world made around. for lovemaking. <laughs> That's what they'll do virtually. Anders knows. Yeah. He's, he's a real-life modder. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it reminded me of the current lay of the land for uh, video game marketization is to just send out a half-finished product and then have you buy your way out of it if you want to actually play the game. Like, every iPhone game uh, has an alternate currency that allows you to beat everybody else if it's competitive. Uh, I've got Dragon Ball Fighter Z I think, two years ago, and 
the extra characters they've added have like tripled the value of the game in terms of how expensive it is now. Um, dude, how, how, what do you think about that? Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess uh, there's two different things we're talking about here. One of them is microtransactions of like you ship a game that's too difficult on purpose to incentivize you to spend a little money to get like some progress in the game without having to work through it as much. And then there's DLC, uh, downloadable content of like, we're going to release this game, but a bunch of the content of it is going to be locked off. And it's like an expansion pack that you can buy. And uh, I think both of those things are kind of a real pain in the ass. <laughs> I mean, like, I do kind of miss the times where you could just buy a game and expect it to be completed um, before you buy it. And that kind of ties into something actually getting back to the archival stuff. Um you also have games that ship uh, where they come with a day one patch where like if you buy the game on a disc, you then have to, as soon as you put the disc in your console or whatever, you have to immediately download this huge patch that'll fix all of the enormous bugs that they didn't bother to fix before the game came out. And speaking Cyberpunk, of, yeah, right? I was gonna say, yeah, Cyberpunk yeah. had that problem, yeah. <laughs> and uh, for preservation, that actually introduces some complexity because if, uh, you know, I mean, you already can see this with like some PS3 games like Demon Souls, for example. The Demon Souls servers are down. And if you buy that, I mean, they've remade it now, but like the original Demon Souls, the servers are down. If you buy the game on disc, like there were a bunch of patches applied to Demon Souls that fixed like bugs and stuff, I'm pretty sure. So if you download that, I mean, if you put in the disc now, you might not be able to download the patch and you might just be stuck with an earlier version of the game, essentially. And, uh, you know, for a smaller game, maybe no one has held on to those patches. Like, maybe at some point in the far future, all you've got is this half-broken version of a game, which is a real pain in the ass for uh, any historians in the future, I would imagine. Yeah. I would join the uh, the team with the uncontroversial opinion that microtransactions and DLC are definitely bad um, overall. But... I guess to to look at it also from like the perspective of like the video game industry and like the production of these games, um, not being a developer uh, or coder myself, uh, I'm still aware of like there there seems to be this um, you know this pattern of uh, video game developers and the workers making these games uh, being crunched harder and harder. Um, you yeah. see like different. Uh, you know, studios shutting down over like this, like all this shit building up. Um, and, you know, eventually like you, you, they, you know, crack the whip a little too hard and uh, everything breaks apart. It definitely feels like it's, it's something that's now built into the, the system now. It's like now built into the budgeting that, um, you know, they're going to work the, you know, developers as hard as possible and try and push this thing out as quickly as they can without taking the time to actually uh, do any bug testing and stuff. And then they offload that work onto the users, uh, mm. the players of the games. And it, it definitely feels like it's it's like this building contradiction. Like I've, I'm thinking of like Richard Wolf in my head, <laughs> talking about like the contradictions built into the system um, that are now suddenly becoming like 
they're starting to become uh, unsustainable. Yeah. yeah, and you kind of saw some of that with Cyberpunk also. That was part of the reason why that failed so hard was like management not understanding how much work needed to be done to implement all of the insane ideas that they were coming up with <laughs> and not budgeting the enough time and then pushing the workers way too hard to the point that the workers like couldn't implement everything that was being asked of them like physically there weren't enough of them and they were just yeah they cracked the whip too hard and the game ended up totally broken i guess unfortunately the game industry is not a healthy place right now yeah i mean i guess it raises like an interesting question if you're approaching this as an archivist because like a game used to be a thing that comes into a cartridge and then you put it in and it's the same every time. But now it's a process that starts with mm-hmm. like making it and then selling it and having day one sales, the patches, uh, yep. and then later on, like a second downloadable content thing at the end. That's like something that is in mind when making a fucking game now. So it's one of those things where you go like, when, which part is the like quintessentially the the thing or whatever, or is yeah is entertainment now the process of purchasing all these fucking things as they come in like a chain or whatever, you know? It's true, yeah. Do you need to save a snapshot of every part, like every point in the game's life cycle of like, yeah, this was patched 1.0112 and here's 0.1013. Is it important? Maybe it is. Maybe the developers removed some crucial feature of the game in one patch and uh, you can't access that part of the game unless you have an older version. And so you want to save that. Yeah, it gets extremely complicated quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's not a video game, but it kind of makes me think of um, Kanye's uh, Life of Pablo album. Yeah, I was thinking that too. That came out. Yeah, it came out like eight or nine times. He was like, (laughs) I'm going to fix wolves. And it's like, which version of this? I don't even know which version of the album that I own currently, but... Yeah. It was an interactive music experience. Yeah, it was like a game. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> it's you against Kanye West, and the winner is whoever can enjoy his music. <laughs> yeah. It's always going to be him in that matchup. That's true. I'm going to do... say he doesn't make good music. But... I'm going to do a mod of Kanye West. I'm going to do a Kanye wad. Where... Can you put some <laughs> particular boots on him? Yeah, I'm going to put him in the funny boots. <laughs> He's single. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, he's freeware now. That's what that's. Uh... <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for coming and talking about your show. Uh, my listeners should all watch it. It's very cool. Um, let's do plugs and get out of here. Where can they see it? Where can they check out your other stuff? Yeah, definitely. Uh, first off, thanks for having us on. It was really fun to talk to you guys. Um, yeah, the show is on Means TV uh, for free, unlocked, as we said earlier, for uh, anybody, not just subscribers. Though if you do subscribe, you can see these uh, bonus expedition episodes that Mitchell and I created that are uh, kind of an improvisational, just uh, the two of us uh, returning to each game and exploring new things about the games that we didn't get to see in the episodes. Like, for example, uh, for Doom, we looked at what Doom multiplayer today is like and found some (laughs) really bizarre online servers that changed the game completely. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, uh, On Means TV. And then if you want to subscribe, it's $10 a month, though they do have a sliding scale subscription kind of thing going on where if you email them and let them know how much you can afford to pay for Means TV, they'll hook you up. And that can go all the way down to free if you need it to. So definitely, yeah, get in touch with them. So that's cool. And, you know, worker-owned, worker-run streaming service, that's never happened before. It's pretty cool. Uh, It's really awesome working with them on our stuff and putting it up on there. They're fantastic. In addition to uh, the series and stuff, obviously you can also catch Sarasota Half and Dream on Means TV. 
Um, if you want to find more from us, uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Mitchell Zemmel, um, where I post sometimes. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can follow me too if you want to. I'm at Derek L. Murphy. I don't really post that much uh, myself, but uh, follow me anyway. Why not? Cool. Uh, what about us, boys? We have Twitch stuff going on. Uh, yeah, well, our Discord, we have something coming up on Friday, next Friday, which uh, is a date, right? Um, what the fuck is the date? On it Friday? sure is, Anders. Let <laughs> <laughs> look it up. The Friday, 26? the 26th, 26th of February, we will be screening a film on our Discord uh, with the Trash Future Boys, a couple of them. Uh, and it's going to be a classic, this special relationship. This is one of the worst movies of all time, uh, if you're a leftist, uh, if you're a, a British or American leftist. It is about a movie, I kid you not, that came out 11 years ago for HBO about the friendship between Bill Clinton and Tony Blair. <laughs> all right. That's uh. the entire premise of the movie. It's incredibly bad, but it's very fun to watch and make fun of. Uh, you can see it and see us riff on it by subscribing to our Discord via the Pod Damn America Patreon. And it's going to be Friday the 26th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, or if you're in the UK, it's going to be 11 p.m. Uh, also, and Alex will tell you about this too, uh, New York State is um, considering, the legislature is considering raising taxes on the wealthy people to pay for shit that needs to uh, be happen. Uh, the money is needed <laughs> and the money is there. And DSA right now is leading the charge to tax the rich. Uh, so I believe every Wednesday, right, you can phone bank uh, with DSA in New York. Even if you're not in New York State, um, help out the socialism, help out the redistribution uh, by phone banking for tax the rich. They're called taxes, and they're how you get money. Uh, yeah, check out the tax and rich thing. Also, you know what? I've been thinking about it because I've been doing these phone banks. If, if you're interested in helping out with this cause, one thing you could do is call your representative in your area because I feel like that is an untapped resource for so many of these people. If you're um, in New York, yeah. If you're in New York. Do not, I swear to God, do not, if you live in Philadelphia, call our New York representatives and lie to them about your constituency when all you do is eat fucking all you do is eat steak and cheeses and, and commit crimes. We don't want you as part of our process. This is a New York process. I bet they're going to be on Twitter who, at protect jokes. There are people who live in Philadelphia who identify as New Yorkers. And in that case, you can pretend to be, you could say you're a New Yorker. Go on second life and make your character a New Yorker, even though yeah. you're in Philadelphia. <laughs> By a little Yankee. <laughs> Andrew yeah. Cuomo's on Second Life. You can lobby him directly in the SM room. <laughs> yeah, he's a. We need more and more players to call their mods. He's a queer black woman who's an immigrant on Second Life. <laughs> I am an alligator with rabbit boobs. <laughs> yeah. I have fuck me boots. Um, I have a couple of plugs that are not my own stuff this week. Uh, one of them is that a comedy club that I'm uh, battling with is uh, harassing me on <laughs> Twitter, and they have a uh, healthcare program for working comedians. It's very ill-defined. I think that everyone in New York should sign up for Stand Up New York's healthcare uh, program and uh, see if they'll give you that, because they say it's technically for anyone who identifies as a comedian. Uh, I think it's a tax loophole, and I think they're assholes, Ow. so go fuck with them. Um, 
The other thing is, my girlfriend, Kate Willett, wrote uh, an audio book. It's an audible original called Dirtbag Anthropology that's nice. about masculinity. I'm in it, as well as uh, <laughs> Margaret Cho, W. Kamau Bell, a bunch of cool people like that. Uh, you should listen to it. It's great. She's a great writer. Um, other plugs. Yeah. If uh, you sign up for our Patreon, we have a Discord that you can get access to via our Patreon. And we also have merch and my other podcasts, Why You Mad. All right. I think that's it. Derek Murphy, Mitchell Zemmel, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was thank a pleasure. You. Absolutely. All right. Logging off. <laughs> that's how I'm ending today. <laughs> awesome. Um, and